Jolly old St. Nicholas, lean your ear this way, because you're listening to The Quibbler Advent Calendar, the podcast for anybody who's ever had to work over Christmas. I'm Heather Price Wright. And I'm Alex Dallenberg. And it turns out that A Visit from St. Nicholas by Clark Clement Moore? Yes. Is that right? Is that right? Yes, that is the that is the name of the author of this poem. Is uh in the public domain. So what we're gonna do today, friends, is we're gonna read you Twas the Night Before Christmas and talk about it. Because it turns out we can read the whole poem and uh, that's fine. Uh, so you're going to get to listen to Alex Dallenberg's deeply sonorous tones read you this classic and pretty goofy Christmas Santa Claus poem. A dramatic reading with annotations. Yeah, it's, it's, we're going to gloss it. But um, before we start, you're going to hear spoilers for all of A Visit from St. Nicholas because you're going to hear the whole thing. Does it count as <laughs> spoiling it if you hear the whole thing? No. If you're like, if you go into a movie and you're like, no spoilers, man. It's like, it's no, like you're going to see the, the ending oh, eventually. God, I hate it when they show me the end of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck this. You also might, I think probably he'll be okay, but you might hear some little mewing and yelping because there is a new quiblet in the house. A but but buh motherfucking puppy named george who lives with us now which we can't believe it's uh too good to be true but he is having a little naparole in the other room and hopefully sleeps through this but if not you might hear the cutest sounds any animal or human (laughs) being has ever made in history which are the sounds that george makes when he wakes up and we are actually recording this on the night before Christmas. And if all goes well, we will get this out the night before Christmas. All better go well. Yeah, all will go well. I will take care of George while you edit. Uh, You're also probably going to hear swearing. Um, The original visit from St. Nicholas is pretty dirty in spots. People forget that. Ma in her kerchief and I in my cap is pretty kinky. (laughs) You're also going to hear some adult themes. And we haven't brainstormed any, so our adult themes are... Um, Adults in- who call their spouses mama and papa. Home invasions. Oh, yeah. yeah that's definitely a home the right invasion. Um, livestock some- on your roof. There's always some weird kind of like fat, shamey stuff with Santa. It's like more it's- like fat fetishization. Like, yeah. It's okay if Santa's fat, right. but the rest of you better go on a diet starting January 1st. Exactly. So, Which literally happens in Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, as we discussed. Yeah. Santa gets, Monstrous. like, enormous for one night, then he... He method acts as yeah, Santa Claus. Yeah. Then he... Okay, I do not want to talk about okay, Rudolph for even there. a second okay, no revisiting. More. Any more adult themes? Is that enough adult themes? Uh, um, I will tell a childhood theme. My grandfather my mom's dad who died when I was like 10 maybe even younger anyway when I was a little girl he would call us on the telephone and read this poem in full every year and uh we thought he was actually Santa Claus which is like why would Santa read a poem about himself (laughs) um but yeah so my my grandfather Stuart Price Papa Stu would read this out loud to us annually so it has lovely connotations in my mind 
and I am excited for you to follow in Grandpa's footsteps. All right, so shall we read A Visit from St. Nicholas? Let's do it. Which was published on December 23rd, 1823 in The Sentinel, which was the local newspaper of Troy, New York, which is just north, I believe, of Albany. So go upstate, upstate shout out. Uh, Also, it was published anonymously. Okay. All right. In A Visit from St. Nicholas by Clement Clark Moore, who we believe is the author of this, but there's like some authorship dispute. There's this other guy named Livingston, one of the Livingstons of New York. Everything is named after Livingston here. You know, there's like many Livingston streets. This is boring. Uh, One of these Livingstons has a claim on it, but most people think it was Clement Clark Moore. Uh, Google it if you ever want to like go down a rabbit hole of authorship disputes. So anyway, A Visit from St. Nicholas by Clement Clark Moore. Twas the night before Christmas, when all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. Some lethargic mice. They're sleepy. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. If you stop to think about it, it's so weird that St. Nicholas, who was an actual Greek saint, like a bishop under like the late Roman Empire, got wrapped up in this whole legend of Santa Claus. Like, because I guess he was kind of a famous gift giver. Then eventually he became like... Was he sainted for being good at giving presents? <sighs> I don't really know my early history of the church that well. I do know one of the things. Yeah, he was famous for giving gifts uh, in legend. I don't know if historically we know that's true. He may or may not have been at the Council of Nicaea, which was a famous conference that the Emperor Constantine, who obviously was the first Christian Roman emperor, set up to... Is that obvious? What do you mean, obviously? Oh, yeah. Who was... Okay, sorry. I, I mean... All right, I won't say uh, it that way. No, you can say it yeah. that way, and I will break in and say, I think that it's actually a, probably a pretty limited listenership to whom <laughs> the identity of Emperor Constantine is, like, wow. okay. an obviously. That was so douchey to say obvious. I wasn't douchey. It was pretty funny okay, to me. so Constantine was the first Roman emperor to formally convert to Christianity and start, started the Christianization of the Roman Empire. Anyway, he held this council to iron out various doctrinal disputes. The Council of Nicaea, which if you've been to at least my church as a kid, we would like recite the Nicene Creed like every oh, week. Oh, we did the Apostles' Creed. Is yeah. it, they're two, they're slightly two different, different creeds, right? Yeah. yeah, we did the Apostles' so, Creed. Anyway, legend has it, one of the things St. Nicholas is famous for is slapping someone at this conference. We don't actually know if this happened or not. He slapped a... St. Nicholas was like a devoted Trinitarian, and he slapped an adherent of the Arian heresy. That's A-R-I-A-N. Not like the Nazis. Yeah, and that was named after Bishop Arius, and like, I've like tried to figure out what the Arian heresy is, like, many times, and I just... It's it's like, it's it's the non... It's like a non-Trinity take, right? Basically, it's like not an equal sort of like godliness of the three pieces of the Trinity. This was like the hot debate in the, I think it's the fourth century, maybe the third century. Uh, This was the hot debate, though. Like the Arians believed that Jesus the Son was like begotten of the Father, of God the Father, so like subordinate to. Right. And Trinitarians believed that they were like the 
Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, are all, like, co-substantial and of the same, like, substance and, like, essence. I can't tell if this is interesting. I am uh, <laughs> I am fairly bored. But it, isn't it wild, though, that this do? I mean... This obsessive Trinitarian, like, kind of obscure Greek... Yeah. He if he goes from like hashing out like Christian theology at the Council of Nicaea, maybe maybe not, to now he's this dude that dresses up in red and like flies a reindeer sleigh. Well, uh, and who has become almost completely secular, and it's like the he's like the alternative to Jesus. If you want to have Christmas without having <laughs> Jesus, you have Santa Claus. But it's like Santa Claus originally was pretty obsessed with the divinity of Jesus, with yeah. the equal divinity, with the equal divinity of Jesus to God the Father and the Holy Ghost. Anyway, uh, culture is wild. Human imaginations are incredible, and I just think if you brought Saint Nicholas here from. Uh, I didn't do my research on the years the way back when he'd be like, well, first he'd be like, how do you make the sunshine indoors? <laughs> and then he'd be like, wait, what? Who is Santa Claus? He's anyway. like, that's not me, bro. <laughs> okay, it's a little problematic, but I do want to, people who are interested in the various permutations of the Santa Claus myth, I think um, David Sedaris's essay, Six to Eight Black Men, is extremely funny and has a very fun take on how absurd it is. It's like one of those things where when you hear other cultures, even slightly altered kind of Santa Claus mythos, you're like, what the fuck? That makes no sense. Which is helpful when you think about the fact that ours makes no sense. (laughs) So yeah, there are definitely problematic elements of that essay, but that's because there are really problematic elements of how the Dutch celebrate Christmas, which is... Santa Clump, which is that Sinterklaas, Santa comes with, who used to be his slaves and are now, I guess, just his, like, buddies, buds, but yeah, his employees, yeah. his at His definitely employees. paid employees yeah. who are not unionized. And sometimes he gives you presents and sometimes he puts you in a sack and takes you to Spain. So, really? Yeah, if you're bad, he doesn't give you coal. Oh he he puts you in a he he puts you in a sack and he beats you and he takes you to Spain with him. All right. Well, anyway, uh, but a lot of the iconography around Santa that we have in America was actually more or less invented in, in this, this poem. poem. Uh, so let's get back to it. The children were nestled, all snug in their beds, while visions of sugar plums danced in their heads. Have you ever had a sugar plum? No, but it's one of those things, you know what it makes me think of? You know how much you wanted Turkish Delight after you read Narnia? Yeah. Did you ever eat Turkish Delight? Yeah, it sucks. It's terrible. It's fully... It's like... Apologies to the Turkish Delight fans. But it's like, it's like overly sticky, pretty flavorless gelatin covered in like powdered sugar. Yeah, it's not worth going like Benedict Arnold for. Oh my or god, whatever to fucking... betray your siblings to the Snow Queen, it's a disaster. For this bullshit. The Ice Queen, the Snow Queen, she's Something, the Snow Queen, right? She, yeah, she's some kind of frosty queen. Queen of winter. Yeah. Okay, anyway. But I th- I worry that a sugar plum would be like, because it sounds delicious. Sugar plums must have been a big 19th century thing, because we've got the sugar plum fairy as well. Well, I'm assuming that this is a reference to the sugar plum fairy. Because visions of sugar plums dance in their heads. I don't actually know. This was written in 1823. Which is before which the is Nutcracker before got Which is before the Nutcracker big. Ballet, okay, which so wouldn't have been performed in the United States until, uh, like, the 20th century. So I think sugar plums were just a seasonal delicacy is what we can go. infer from the text. But any dessert historians, which, I mean... I bet we have at we least one have at least listener. probably one listener who's... Uh, Who knows a lot about the history of sweets. All right. 
Where were we? And Mama in her kerchief and I in my cap. Don't call your spouse mom. I hate it. It's like <laughs> one of my biggest pet peeves and it's just because the Pences do it. Have you ever worn a cap to bed? I think I would get hot. No, I mean, I also don't you have the- You haven't worn a kerchief to well, bed Well, I also, I don't have the texture of hair that I would need to. Lots of people wear some kind of head covering to bed because of their hair texture. I don't, This I is like don't. the early 19th century though, so it's probably fucking cold. That's no true. No radiators. Had just settled our brains. Where? Wait, I don't remember that line. I remember it being had just settled down. For a long winter's nap. I'm reading this on poets.org. I'm sure that's right. We just settled their like their brains for a long winter's nap. I don't remember right. the last time I settled right, my brain <laughs> for a long winter's nap. So I am jealous of mama and papa in their kerchief and cap. I've always liked the phrase long winter's nap. Yeah, well... We need one with George in the house. I desperately need a long winter's nap. When out on the lawn, there arose such a clatter, I sprang from the bed to see what was the matter. Santa's not subtle in this poem. He just like crash, he just like does a hard touchdown on, not even the roof actually. No, he he touches down on the lawn. Touches down on the lawn and then climbs onto the roof. I don't know, keep going so we can find out the mechanics of this. Away to the window, I flew like a flash tore open the shutters, and threw up the sash. That line really confused me as a kid. Because you didn't like, know what a sash what was. What the fuck is a sash? It's just the part of the window. All right. The moon on the breast of the new fallen snow gave the luster of midday to objects below. When what to my wondering eyes should appear but a miniature sleigh and eight tiny reindeer. Wait, why are they small? I think reindeer are actually pretty small. Okay, but Santa's giant. Why would the sleigh be miniature? Well, these are magic. I don't actually... God, I know there's probably some, like, National Geographic story about the science of reindeer out there, but I don't... They're wild animals. I don't know if you could teach them to, like... You know what? You know what I'm sure you can't teach them to do? What? Fucking fly. <laughs> so I don't know that we necessarily need to get into, like, reindeer biology to know that uh, they don't fly. I believe that this is this is like our first pop culture appearance of Santa's reindeer. Yeah. Like, I mean, this poem is pretty impressive in just how much, like, Santa iconography it invents. And, like, Santa, like, the reason, like, the legend of Santa Claus, it really did, in its current incarnation, like, spring up with this poem. So he sort of took, like, the father, British Father Christmas, who was, like, much thinner, I guess, and the Dutch Santa Claus... And he sort of like smashed them up together and made them a lot more like fun. Yeah, he made them like cute. Okay, also this guy disowned this poem for years. He refused to acknowledge his authorship of it. He was like a professor of divinity. Uh, There's a school he founded in like Chelsea that there's like a seminary or something. There's like a theological school he founded in like Chelsea. That's still there. You can go visit it. The reason New York in New York City is called Chelsea is his estate was called Chelsea and Clement Clark Clement Moore like sold off bits and pieces of it at a time to the city and like made a killing. But he like wanted to be taken very seriously as a man of letters. So for years he like didn't want to be associated with this piece of light verse, even though it basically like from its publication, like did the like 19th century version of going viral. Well, it's so interesting when you think about, I feel like Tolkien is another example of somebody who really wanted to be remembered for his scholarship. And instead, his like creative work is what is truly indelible. Like nobody remembers what this guy said about like God, but lots and lots and lots and lots of Americans and people around the world know this poem. I mean, it's incredibly famous. And you know, I mean, this is a man who wanted to be famous for his 
theology. Well, I think also he just wanted he wanted to be taken seriously uh, in his day. Okay, so anyway, this so. guy did not want to be primarily the Santa Claus guy, but, <laughs> but then inevitably he sort of grudgingly acknowledged it later. Another thing he did, interestingly, was I guess the celebration of Christmas was still kind of controversial or like disputed among like because like protestants didn't like it because it was super catholic it is very catholic the kind of american puritan tradition sort of like looked askance at christmas so by moving literally puritans hate fun even when it's (laughs) christian fun so by moving because also it does have it is pretty pagan the way it has been celebrated has always been pretty pagan so by moving the focus from christmas day which was the holy day to santa doing this on Christmas Eve, he sort of like destigmatized Christmas a little bit. Interesting. The war over Christmas is going on since like the very beginning. This was like a huge sticking point in the English Civil War where the Puritan parliamentarians were really against the celebration of Christmas and a lot of the royalists were very pro-Christmas and they were just like, I don't know, big fights in London about it. I think like... overall, I'm, well, I don't know. The parliamentarians were pretty shitty too. <laughs> but in terms of like structures of governance, I think that's where I land. But I hate that they were anti-Christmas. Go find the Revolutions podcast, Mike Duncan's Revolutions podcast. Go find the Christmas episode from the first season of Revolution about the English Civil War. It's a doozy. I highly recommend it. Speaking of Christmas content that's pretty unrelated to, like, (laughs) Hallmark. Okay, back to the tiny reindeer. Why are they tiny? We'll never know. With a little old driver, so lively and quick, I knew in a moment, it must be Saint Nick. He's got a nickname already for him. That's nice. More rapid than eagles, his courses they came, and he whistled. More rapid than eagles? (laughs) It's, like, very bold. Holy shit, these reindeer fast as fuck and he whistled and shouted and called them by name now dasher now dancer now prancer and vixen on comet on cupid on donder and this is a direct Not donder look says it right there oh it became donner later okay the original is donder okay that's terrible donder mifflin (laughs) (laughs) on donder and blitzen all right and and this is a direct quote from the poem this must be an older version. Ba ba ba, motherfucking Blitzen. I loved the reindeer as a kid. This is the poem that names them, right? Yeah. Th- these. This mm-hmm. didn't come from anywhere except this guy. I, okay. I'm pretty sure. Uh. Who's your favorite? Blitzen's a dope name. I think. I like Comet and so Cupid. So is Comet. I yeah. think Comet and Cupid as a pair are some my good. Faves. Some good alliteration here. So, oh, this is all Santa. Santa is saying this. So do it in your yeah. Santa voice. To the top of the porch. Is that a good Santa voice? <laughs> I don't voice? know. Try again. To the top of the porch. To the top of the wall. Now dash away, dash away, dash away all. As dry leaves that before the wild hurricane fly, when they meet with an obstacle, mount to the sky. So to the housetop, the coursers they flew, with the sleigh full of toys, and St. Nicholas too. So first he landed on the lawn... And then, and then he was like, like oh, no, no, shit, this is the get wrong on the spot. roof. Let's get to the roof. And they did this as fast as an eagle. Did you believe in Santa as a kid? Like, really believe in Santa? I don't remember. I, I cannot remember a time when I didn't have doubts or have a pretty good sense of what was going on. But that doesn't mean there wasn't such a time. I just, my, my memories of my own thoughts and impressions don't go back that far. I, I remember knowing that it was my parents' handwriting. Right. I, I mean, I remember, I actually really pretty vividly remember the experience of pre- 
pretending that I hadn't noticed that there probably wasn't a Santa. Mm. But I, I mean, I'm sure I did, but I don't remember the experience of believing yeah. fully in Santa. Did you? Ah, I'm in the same boat as you. I think I did believe in Santa, but I don't remember having like a deep, like ironclad, like faith. But I think you do pretend and then it becomes real in a way. I think I, I think, I think I always thought something was like fishy about it. I don't my think mom I could like always yeah. thought that. My mom could like fill me in on like what I actually thought. I don't remember a moment of like deep revelation of like, oh shit, Santa's not real. Oh fuck. Do not listen to this with your children. I think people know that because yeah. we say fuck oh, yeah. an awful lot. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> I guess the greatest spoiler alert of all is that Santa's not real. Oh, well, you know, he's real in our hearts. I think I don't He's rem- not real in my heart. I don't whoa. I think we just discovered the real Snow Queen. <laughs> um, I actually have like major questions about whether I would tell my kids about Santa because mm-hmm. so I, I don't think, know. That's I, I'm not a parent, so I have no <laughs> idea what this feels like. But that's lying. I don't remember a shattering epiphany that Santa wasn't real. I think I always thought something didn't add up just from a manufacturing perspective. Yeah. So it definitely didn't devastate me. There was not a moment where I was like, oh no, like my sort of innocence is broken. So Santa's supposed to have this workshop. All the elves make the toys, but the things you ask for for Christmas you are can get made it like Target. By like companies. So is Santa making like knockoff Lego sets? Yeah. It's like, does Santa make he... his own Xboxes separately? Or does he like <laughs> go to the Xbox manufacturers? No. I mean, there's yeah. a lot of... Does he outsource? The thing is, I never really got Christmas like, presents. How does the supply just, chain work? I don't know. My parents were like weird. So I don't remember ever getting like branded things, period. So like, I feel like I got a lot of Christmas yeah, presents handmade that... handmade toy that Santa... That, that were like, like at least plausible deniability. Like they weren't... We, we just never got the brand name. So I was like, oh, this is Santa's brand. <laughs> like rose art instead of Crayola. This I might be Santa, wrong about that. I just Santa's don't remember ever brand. having like... Like Amazon Basics or whatever. Yeah, but Santa, Santa generic. Yeah. I do I do remember, though, the handwriting thing. Because we, we used to... Like we would put cookies and um, carrots out for the reindeer. Like we would do the whole thing. But one of the things that's funny, I think, actually, is that both my parents have incredibly distinctive handwriting. Like you've seen, you've seen both my parents writing and they don't have Santa-like writing. Well, no, more to the point, they don't have easily disguisable. They both have extremely specific, very, very distinct handwriting. You mean your parents didn't use cut up like newspaper they use, headlines? They didn't use yeah. murder, murder <laughs> letters. Their, their no, visit from Santa. no. And they both have, yeah, they have <laughs> handwriting that's pretty hard to disguise. And I remember just like hearing that you know like I would go to sleep and then immediately they would be like rustling around and I was like that's my mom and dad like that's not reindeer I also I found my baby teeth so I kind of figured out about the tooth fairy and I feel like what oh my parent my mom like had my baby teeth so I remember like figuring out where did she keep your baby teeth in like a box in her top drawer that box of teeth in the drawer i mean i think people i think lots of people keep their kids baby teeth but i i had a tooth removed from the roof of my mouth once that like shouldn't have been there and i kept it for a long time just because it was like pretty dope looking Ew. a little different than but your I'm mom sure your par- no i'm sure your mom teeth. had your teeth what did she throw them away i don't know i'll have to I don't ask know. but so i i saw the box of teeth and i feel like the tooth fairy and santa claus were kind of like of a kind so it was sort of clear that 
it was like a both or I don't know I was a it was very much a both or neither for me with Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy because they're equally unbelievable anyway go on and then in a twinkling I heard on the roof the prancing and pawing of each little hoof the Santa is not subtle like no Santa's not secretive in this Santa luckily these babies are just having sugar plum fairy like (laughs) fucking dreams this guy's like like, am I the only one who sees what's going on here there's a reindeer sleigh this turns him into a conspiracy theorist (laughs) like rather than sweet he's just like chemtrails the government is lying to you santa claus as i drew in my head and was turning around down the chimney saint nicholas came with a bound you can't bound down the chimney no slide this is one of the freakiest things to me about santa claus like chimney thing just the sheer claustrophobia well i also that's another thing i remember because i grew up in a like a double wide essentially like until i was 10 we lived in a a mobile home i guess literally a mo but anyway a house that you could put on the back of a truck and like drag away in rural northeastern arizona we didn't have a fucking chimney. Yeah, and I grew up in suburban Phoenix, and yeah. we didn't have a chimney like, either. So this is was, one of the first was, things you have to But we didn't have any kind of, like, we had, like, an aluminum roof. Like, there was no entry point for Santa whatsoever. <laughs> we had, like, a vent on the side of our house that, like, the dryer air blew out of. And that's, like, the closest thing that Santa could have come in. He was dressed all in fur from his head to his foot, and his clothes were all tarnished with ashes and soot. That part doesn't make it into a lot of the iconography. Oh, yeah, no, he's never dirty. He's always looking, it's always like he beginning of the night Santa. Fresh to death. Yeah, at the end of the night Santa, he looks like... He looks like uh, Bert uh, yeah. in, in Mary Poppins. Yeah. The worst Cockney accent in history. God, it's a good thing Santa, I think we're meant to understand, is immortal because this can't be good for his health. Oh, my gosh, his poor lungs. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Like, this is a lot of toxins to be absorbing every Christmas. A bundle of toys he had flung on his back, and he looked like a peddler just opening his pack. Another line that doesn't resonate so much, unless you've seen, like, Oklahoma with the peddler. I didn't yeah. know what a fucking peddler was when I was a kid. No. No one peddles anymore. The good old days of peddling. <laughs> his eyes, how they twinkled. His dimples, how merry. His cheeks were like roses, his nose like a cherry. His droll little mouth was drawn up like a bow, and the beard of his chin was as white as the snow. This is a marvelous description. Those are the lines of this poem that make my heart feel warm. Like Santa's nice-ass face. I mean, name a more iconic Santa. I'll wait. Love it. Keep going. The stump of a pipe he held tight in his teeth, and the smoke it encircled his head like a wreath. So if Santa didn't get enough fucking ash and cinders, enough he's carcinogens smoking. in the chimneys. <laughs> Santa's like, I live forever. I don't give a fuck. We had an illustrated version of this. I wish I could name the illustrator, but, you know, it's just like a kind of a generic picture book of this. And there was a, a, a drawing of Santa in this on this page with the smoke like actually making a wreath. Anyway, it's like really indelible to me. I loved that. I loved that image. He had a broad little face and a little round belly that shook when he laughed. Like a bowl full of jelly. I love that That part. That is correct. He was chubby and plump, a right jolly old elf. And I laughed when I saw him in spite of myself. Wait, is Santa an elf? Or is he elfin? I thought the elves work for Santa. I don't know. This is a little bit conflating of the two. Because in this, he's really teensy. He's like fat, but really small. Mm, He's a... 
He's a round boy. <laughs> he is just literally a round boy. <laughs> I like that he laughed at Santa. He's like, ha, ha, Santa. No, but in a nice you, way. You, you. You rascal. Yeah, you short king. We stand a short king. George a is wink, a short king. A wink of his eye and a twist of his head soon gave me to know I had nothing to dread. Thank God. I mean, because if you had anything to dread, you'd be fucked. But yeah, from yeah, also a he's dude, in. Yeah, a dude climbing down your chimney, covered to like in ash and soot. It's scary. I mean, yeah, that's a little frightening. Santa's a little scary. One of my foster brothers who came to live with us for just a couple of years, um, I guess in like 2013 or so, was from Somalia, um, and devoutly Muslim and his English was good but sort of not perfect of course or like understandably rather and he had never celebrated Christmas because that's not the culture he was from and we my other my my little brother sort of told him the Santa deal and (laughs) Omti drastically misunderstood what was going to happen and thought that Santa was coming to take all his shit and was like terrified. Was we was we felt terrible. Kenson definitely didn't mean to traumatize him. He had just sort of told him like, oh, it's this like fun story. And like you know, my my brother was not a child at this point, so he didn't tell it as though he himself yeah, he was, believed like, it. Explaining the tradition, but he was like explaining. Santa. He was explaining the, the sort of whole deal with Santa. And Omni was like, you Christians are fucked up. Like, this man is coming to, like, take my things. And he was very, very frightened until we sort of set him a rights. And we're also like, Santa's not real. Like, this is just a story that we tell children. To which I think rightfully he was like, don't. It's scary. A lot of the Christmas legends are scary because, yeah. like, they coincide with the frightening dark winter time. Iceland has a Christmas witch named, uh, it's like Grilla or something like that. And she has 13 large adult sons called the Yule Lads. <laughs> They're called the Yule Lads. I stand the Yule Lads. And they do stuff like, ste- like, one of them steals your sausages what like an one asshole. of them is like sausage stealer and they each do they each have like a specific like prank that they play I mean, and then she like i think the legend has been softened but i think originally iceland's christmas witch would like grab little children and like cook them into a stew and then the yule lads would like do all this like, i mean the bullshit. thing is a lot of these christmas legends it's like if you're a good kid you're you're golden but if you're bad like you're getting your ass kicked at best. <laughs> like, best case scenario, you're getting beaten and put into a sack. And worst and case scenario, <laughs> the Christmas witch is eating you for supper. <laughs> so, well, and didn't Victorians, like, tell ghost stories at Christmas time? Like, there's, I think, like... I think ghost stories around Yule go way back, yeah, even yeah, before yeah. then. Because, you know, it's a frightening... It's a frightening time of year. The I days get short. There's a, the I mean, there's a clear reason why A Christmas Carol is a ghost story. Like Dickens was clearly drawing on like a grand yeah. tradition of Christmas ghosts. So, if anything, this poem sort of marks the evolution of dark Christmas to myths like cute to, Christmas. But it's still kind of. I don't know if this poem is like the hin- the turning point of that, but it's definitely part of the evolution. But 
I don't know. Santa's a little, it's a little creepy to have a dude who in other legends also like watches you all year long to find out if you're good or bad. And like then, Santa has some minutes too. He's like the surveillance state or he whatever. Is. He's the panopticon. Yeah. And then, yeah, you get threatened with some parents will threaten you all year with like, it's like Santa's watching you. Yeah, that part, that was not part of my upbringing. So I think that's one of the reasons why I just sort of was like, I could kind of take or leave Santa because I never learned that Santa was going to like punish me if I was bad. And then he gives you coal, which I guess he's just swiping from like fucking various furnaces since he's constantly covered in ashes and soot. So our man, the narrator, has nothing to dread. I don't know that I agree with that. Even though there's this obviously magical person has invaded his house. But I guess he's got a sack full of toys, which, you know, there wasn't as much mass production in the 20th century, in the 19th, in the early 19th century. So these aren't like Xboxes. These are probably like nice wooden horses that the elves have made. He spoke not a word, but went straight to his work and filled all the stockings, then turned with a jerk and laying his finger aside of his nose. Heather is making the motion right now. You can't see it because this is audio. And giving a nod up the chimney, he rose. Amazing. So he can levitate. Yeah, too. he goes back out Incredible. the chimney. Incredible. Yeah. That would. The fact that this guy's not like, holy shit, what the fuck did I just see? I mean, he's in that beautiful suspension of disbelief realm where you start seeing something unbelievable and then you're like, you know what? I'm just going with it. Or in the universe of the poem, he sort of knows about Santa and this is just confirmation. Like, he's vaguely aware that Santa can do this magic and now he's just seeing it and that's cool. Yeah. He sprang to his sleigh, to his team gave a whistle, and away they all flew, like the down of a thistle. I like that image. But I heard him exclaim, ere he drove out of sight, Happy Christmas to all, and to all, a but but bub motherfucking good night. Merry Christmas, amigos.